This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Time to put on the show. show, show. From the 253 tempo is about getting to the line faster, not so much about running a hurry-up style. That's what we will see. That's fine. That, that's fine. What I don't want to see is eight seconds and them just breaking the huddle. Eight seconds on the play clock and them just breaking the huddle. Because that, whether you want to call it deliberate or disorganized, is a mess. I, I, would, I would like to see things moving along at a, at a little bit brisker pace, Paul. Yeah, stop tearing me apart. Please get to the line. Thank you. It's Danny and Gallant. It's time for Blue 42. We got Brock Heward here. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on two. Ready? Right. Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42! Blue 42! Seriously, it better not happen once this year. Morning, Brock. How are you now? Uh, good. Hot. It is hot. You guys know it's still hot in Arizona at 8 in the morning? Like hot, hot. Hot. Yeah. Hot. Yeah. It's chilly is... in Peoria, though, when we were there at 8 in the it's, morning. It's dry. <laughs> it's a dry heat, though, Brock. It's a dry heat. <laughs> no humidity. It is a dry heat, but when it comes off of the uh, the pavement and it's like 104, um, yeah. Yeah, it's beyond, it's beyond sauna. Uh, beyond, beyond sauna. But yeah. all good. That's life. Come on. It's like Houston, like Florida. It ain't that bad. Question one, Brock. No, true. Go ahead, Paul. <laughs> Is it normal in practice for a quarterback, specifically in training camp, to maybe, as opposed to looking through all of his progressions, to focus on maybe the short and the intermediate? Because that's what I've seen out of Russell Wilson in the couple of training camp practices that I've gone to. It seems like they are going out of their way to focus, prioritize the short, the intermediate. You think it's that, Paul, or is it just completions? Is it, hey, man, I, I want to get the ball out of my hands, right? Or is he going through all of his reads and then just checking down? Are we talking Charlie Whitehurst, like check down Charlie? We are or, not. We're talking the ball's getting out quick. We're talking, I mean, it doesn't yeah. even feel like he's necessarily looking at every single wide receiver or option that's out there for him. Well, I think that's probably the priority here, Paul, especially early in camp. Not that, hey, you're going to do exactly what I tell you, and I want you to you know, just get the ball out and find completions. But I, I heard you guys just talking about tempo, and that texture is right. And, and, and Danny, you know, I hear you loud and clear. Tempo comes in a bunch of different varieties, right? And, and, and so often we think of tempo, we think of the college game that runs the spread, no huddle, get to the line, get the ball off with 25 on the play clock, let's just go and play breakneck speed. But that's not tempo. Mike Holmgren, man, if there's one thing, well, you have a lot of things at me, but if there's one more than any other, it was tempo. It was tempo. It was rhythm, right? You, you should be able to see it and feel it. And, 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 and you're the one dictating. That's really what tempo is. I guess it is it, it, it's the essence of it. You're the one dictating. The de- defense is not dictating to you. So, Paul, that's probably what I would say is that, hey, man, by getting that ball out and finding completion after completion after completion and putting together five, seven, ten play drives, we're dictating. We're, we're, we're moving the ball. We're, we're taking the wind out of your lungs a little bit. And you know that Russ can still throw the deep ball as well as anybody. You know that DK and Tyler and those guys are adept at those chunk, explosive, huge plays. 
I think this is maybe an early focus to, yes, find those super efficient completions. Guess what, Russ? You're not going to get hit when the ball is out of your hands and you put it in other people's hands. Brock, when you say all that, it makes a ton of sense. And my initial reaction is, okay, well, why didn't they do that sooner? Is this is that something Pete's, Pete Pete will tell you he's not a big fan of dinking and dunking it around. Like he he likes Correct. if you're going to throw it, he likes to throw it deep. Is this is this a structural change or a philosophical change for Seattle's offense? Yeah, I think I mean it's really early, Danny, a week in the camp, yeah. right? And we'll see it when the pads actually go on today, and, and you know, it, it's like you spend an whole offseason, these baseball players working on their swing. I remember the great Michael Saunders, right? He wore all these bands. He kind of recreate muscle memory. My God, Tim Tebow paid Tom House how many dollars to try to change his muscle memory. But then, you know, when you get to game and you put the bullets flying and you put the pads on or you get into the batter's box, you go back to some of that reflexive muscle memory for all those years. And you're absolutely right. There's sound of it in the system of saying that clearly, man. I don't like dinking and dunking. I love running the ball and taking shots and explosive plays and play action off of it. And I think this is a matter, again, that's not about pocket. We know that inside and out. For a decade, we've done that. It's been who we've been. Let's focus on things we've not done as well. Russell, let's get that ball out in less than 2.8 receivers. Let's be precise and have precision. And again, let's be the ones dictating and not the other side of the ball. Question two. All right, Brock, I had a really good question written up here, if I do say so myself. It was about whether Chris Carson is the best running back in the division. I'm changing gears. You're getting a wild card thrown at you. You're in Arizona for the Fox Football Summit, right? Cletus the Robot is out there dancing. You got all of the the cast of characters that's there. We're now a week removed from Oklahoma and Texas saying we're going to where the big boys play. We're going to leave the Big 12. What's the reaction nationally to to that move? Is is there an expectation that there are going to be more shoes to drop here? Yes, it's it's very likely chaos is, is going <laughs> to chaos. Yeah, chaos. Like chaos. Is it going to be this year? Is it going to be when Oklahoma, uh, when the SEC is bought out fully by ESPN? Remember, it's going to the SEC is going to ABC and ESPN. Yeah, um, they're, they're, CBS is. Is, is going to be out? Is that going to be in two years? That can be in three years, whenever that is. That's when you can expect more than likely Oklahoma and Texas to be out. Um, someone was telling me last night, and this is hard for me to believe. It really, it really was. But it was a very, uh, let's call high-ranking official, uh, and a couple of them uh, at, at Fox, saying that Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12, had no idea this was coming. He was as blindsided as every one of us was on that Wednesday when that Houston Chronicle story dropped that his assistant called him and said, uh, or the, you know, actually the reporter from the Houston Chronicle said, hey, Bob, just want you to let you know uh, there's a bomb that's going to be dropping here real soon in the world. And that was the first that he'd, he'd heard of that. And if that is true, then, man, what, what a crazy world we live in. And... Man, Bob Bowlesby, your lieutenants and your assistants who have their feet on the ground listening to everything, seeing everything, uh, they got one up in an, in an enormous way by the SEC. What does this mean for the Pac-12? It means, Danny, I think they've got to be the aggressor. I, I don't think you can sit there and wait and just say, yep, yep, status quo, we're good. 
uh, which is a little bit of, I, I think, their leaning. It's a little bit of the Big Ten leaning. You know, uh, it's just, uh-huh. hey, we are very, very proud uh, of our academic institutions. Uh, when we say student-athlete, we mean student-athlete. It, it, you know, you can have your slogan in the SEC that it just means more, uh, and that's fine. Uh, but out west and in the Rust Belt and in Michigan and many of those schools that, that are like-minded with Stanford, Cal, USC, Washington, out on the West Coast, it just means more academically. That that, that legitimately is where I think many of the presidents Danny, frankly, is why when football fell apart at this time last year, as conferences were shutting down shop, uh, like the MAC, like the Big Ten, like the Pac-12 that followed, that was a, a major reason why, right? I'll go back to that word, dictate. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's about tempo and dictating on offense. You know, I don't think the Pac-12 and the Big Ten want to be dictated by what the SEC is doing, but then the reality of that mega conference and super conference and the revenue they're building and we've seen it on the field it is it's distancing themselves it's it's you know not not the level playing ground that it was 20 years ago how much time do you feel like it'll take before we see the next move because i'd imagine teams in the pac 12 teams in the big 12 are scrambling yep. this idea that there's just going to be this lame duck status with Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12 for the next couple of years, too. I don't know if I buy that because I feel like they would be more than willing to pay whatever they need to pay to get out of that TV deal ahead of time. Yeah, I think that comes down to, Paul, how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars are we talking about? How long do we want to be in the courts? How, how much you know do we want to battle this? How much is... The Big 12 and Bob Bowlesby and his war trust, how heavy is that war chest to really go to war uh, with Clay Bennett and keep the Sonics around, you know? I mean, that's what it, that's what it kind of feels like, honestly. And, and I hadn't thought about it until, you know, talking to you guys. And, and we know in, in our market what that was like. And Clay Bennett, wow, you know, we're going to try to build an arena. And if you do all of this and you bend over backwards and, you know, you give me all of this and the city haggling over, flying over the venture, it's like, yeah, I'm out, I'm out. And I think that you're right, Paul. If I would survey all my college football colleagues here and friends, I think it's ultimately going to get to a point like we're, we're out. But how many hundreds of millions of dollars and how many days and months in court will that be? Uh, time will only tell. Question number three. Let's bring things back to the VMAC in Renton. What's the most encouraging thing that you have heard about the offense? For, for me... I, I guess we are seeing a little bit of tempo, but the speed sweep and motions, those jet sweeps, I've liked seeing them. I, as I mentioned, the quick yeah. and short passing. But is there anything that you've been hearing that gets you excited? Yeah, probably the tight end group. And, and, and I know mm. this is kind of time of the essence, and, and Colby Parker had an amazing day yeah. yesterday and everything else. But, you look good. But, but, it's just, but it's just the, the I guess, the overall strengths and weaknesses of that room that you know, you've got obviously superior length in Colby. You got in Will Disley, an amazing blocker that I really hope you can put a full season of incredible health together. It's been an awesome offseason for him. Uh, you know, he's in the best shape of his life. He's got experience under his belt. I mean, it, it's it's time to, to not just be a good player in this league. It's time to be an, an elite edge blocker, which this system uh, really commands and wants. And, you know, they've done away with it in the, with the Rams and McVay. Uh, you know, and, and, and you can work with, with parts, but man, when you've got an elite blocker, George Kittle-esque kind of blocker, 
And, and I think this league can be that. He's not going to be the explosive guy. He's not going to be the guy down the field. He's not going to be the yards after catch. But as far as just crushing and dominating an edge with your two tackles, uh, that excites me for Will Disley. And then as Will Everett, you do have a guy that has, you know, a lot of time in this system and is going to hit the ground running and, and set the tone. So I, I guess I love the diversity of skill set in that room, and it's going to show up. You know, with Eskridge's injury, as we talked about yesterday, man, those tight ends can't be bystanders. They've got to be difference makers. And I like the skill set with the, with, within that room and, and the variety they bring to the table. Brock, I'm kind of jealous of where you are. I, I'd like well, to be yeah. picking. I, I'd like to be picking the brains of all of those college football dudes. There's so well, you know much going really on cool in college here, Danny. Oh, sorry to cut you out. You know what's really yeah, neat what? about this is they blend the NFL and college guys. So the NFL guys were all here. They got in Sunday, had some meetings, and then yesterday had a lot of their meetings. And then last night we all got together for about a three-hour meeting, and then had a big dinner. And man, you would have loved, loved. Love that. They paid homage to Dick Stockton. Uh, is he uh, retiring and played highlights of his for four decades? Anybody listening right now would have loved to have watched that and listened to it. And Frank Caliendo pops on stage to roast people. And, you know, there's, uh, there's the heaviest of hitters from the NFL that were here. Um, so, yeah, I think any sports fan would have loved, loved the venue. And, you know, I'll say this too as I saw Troy walking out here this morning. Aikman is a big old dude, man. When you see yes, some of these guys in person, they are big, just kind of big in presence, um, big in stature. And, yeah, it was a big night to blend the two together last night and kind of get this whole season. Get my juice flowing even more for this season to begin. Well, it's funny with Troy is that he's a guy that's skinny now, and you can tell how big he is was, right? Like, yes. he's he's skinny now, but you see how square his shoulders, and you look at him, you're like, you're yeah. a big old hoss. You are a big old hoss who's just started eating yeah. salads for about the past five years. Yeah. <laughs> no question. Ran into Tom Rinaldi. Oh, my gosh. You want to talk about a storyteller. He doesn't just put those stories together. You sit down with him for 20 minutes. Wait till you hear the story that, that he's going to have. A lot of buzz around here with the Field of Dreams that Fox is doing with the Yankees and White Sox here in, what, nine days or so? Yep. Uh, a couple of the stories that he's building around that are going to be just absolutely, unbelievably remarkable. So, yeah, kind of a fun cast of characters that, as I said, any of you listening or uh, especially you two, Danny and Paul, as much as y'all love this game and love sport, uh, super, super fun to, to see everybody last night. I know this isn't reality, but with Tom Rinaldi, I always imagine him like walking around with just dramatic music that's slowly playing in the background. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a piano he brings with him or something. Yeah, let him know, Brock. He had that in his back pocket, Paul. He plays <laughs> out of his cell phone. You're right. <laughs> you got to let him know not to sleep on the dogs. Do- dogs dogs are a sleeper team this year. Okay. Dogs are a sleeper yep. team for national relevance. Mm. You know, it's pretty amazing when you do look at Danny to that point, and, and I don't know if you follow West Coast football or, or who you follow on Twitter, but, um, man, you start to, you know, get into this preseason stuff and the best O-line in the league. Yeah, that's, that's Washington. Yeah. You know, the best secondary in the league. Yeah, that's Washington. Yeah. Best linebacker. Well, yeah, and Washington's top three. Yeah, you, you kind of go around go best tight ends in, in the conference. Now, they don't have the people on the perimeter. Right, they don't have the skill people. They're probably in the bottom half, at least going into this year, because it's a lot of youth and inexperience. You start piling those position groups together, and, and Danny, you're right, man. There's a lot of experience, quite a bit of talent. 
Yes, and I, I believe in these young wide receivers. It's a huge turnover at wide receiver, but I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for this Husky season. Brock, it's always great to catch up with you. We'll be back with you on Thursdays. Sounds good, boys. Look forward to it. That is Brock Heward. Our training camp coverage here at 710 ESPN Seattle is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. I'm going to change directions for just a little second because Brock Heward brought up something about muscle memory. He talked about muscle memory, and I want to tie this into something that's happening this morning. Uh, Simone Biles won the bronze medal in the balance beam. And look, if you're mad at me for spoiling that, hey, okay, I'll raise my hand and say, but we, we cover what's happening in sports. And she took a break, and she came back to, to compete, and she won it. Muscle memory is one of the more fascinating things that we never talk about when it comes to athletics. And there's uh, a woman that I know from a writing group. It's like a aspiring writers group. We read and feedback on on each other. Things. She's an Olympic diver. She competed in the 2012 Olympics, and she's 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 now a writer. She's working on a book, and she just had a piece published on Fox Sports about performing in front of crowds that was really good. Her name's Cassidy Krug. She's an Olympic diver, and there are some similarities between gymnastics and diving because of how you train your body to contort in the air. And all of the different cues. And she was describing kind of what Simone went. Like when you lose that. When you start thinking about these things. That all of practice for gymnastics and diving. And throwing a football. Like there are so many things that an elite athlete trains themselves to do by muscle memory. And that you get to a point where sometimes that. Whether it's short circuits or however you want to describe it. You start thinking about things that you had been doing on instinct. And then you're kind of lost as an elite. And as, as Cassidy was explaining it, it was it helped me understand what Simone Biles was describing or going through in a way that I hadn't before. Where it's like, oh, you're in this elite competition and suddenly something that is very fundamental to what you do and that you've relied on your muscle memory to do, you're now thinking about it and you're lost. Yeah, the description of the twisties, as they are called, is something that sounds pretty terrifying because this isn't like muscle memory for me. Dropping back, planting, stepping forward, that's something that I think is exceptionally easy for most athletes. But with her, if she screws up, she can break her neck. You know, that, that's that's the major difference with that. And you're talking about, you know, trying to do flips and all sorts of crazy stuff on essentially what how wide are these balance beams like a foot, even if even that. So, yeah, that's definitely a lot that you have to somehow figure out and get right back on track with. And uh, it, it seems like she has to an extent. Isn't that fascinating, though? We see it in sports, right? Put, golfers get the yips. Yeah. All of a sudden they can't putt. Kickers. Like all of a sudden something that is we've seen. There was a catcher. I don't know if you remember him. His name was Mackie Sasser, and he played for the Mets. He was a decent prospect of a catcher, and he hung around. He had a decent career. He started being unable to throw the ball, release the ball as he was throwing it back to the pitcher. Like, it was just this, all of a sudden, like, he had, like, a psychological, and he couldn't do it. And the problem became runners were timing his difficulty of throwing the ball back so he would be doing these essentially pump fakes because he wasn't releasing the ball. And they go from first to second while he was throwing the ball back to the pitcher from from behind the plate. Chuck Knobloch, Steve Sachs, a couple of second basemen who started struggling with throws to first. And we we never really spend that much time talking about these. These are just weird things that happen. There's part of me that's surprised this stuff doesn't happen more often, given the pressure and the stakes that exist. And, and it seems, but there's, I think there's everyone, no sport where it's as dangerous, right? 
that part is totally true. As it, when you're diving off of something high or performing yeah. on something narrow, or like where your your physical. Mackie Sasser, you're going to give up a stolen base. Steve Sachs, you're going to get an error because you can't throw it right. that way. You're not. You, you don't have the chance of conking your head against yeah. a concrete platform. Yeah, like high dive or 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 as we've been talking about with gymnastics, it's something. Yeah, you don't really think about because you see these guys and you or gals and you assume they are essentially machines out there when you are watching them do it. And with Biles, I mean, she's just been so much better than everybody. I mean, she's probably the best gymnast ever. And yeah. For her to not be that all of a sudden, it's it's weird. And you know, credit to her for for being able to 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 shake whatever was going on off and 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 get the uh, goal. Uh, what was it? Bronze medal. She she won the bronze today. Uh, the 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 diver that I've gotten to know in this writers group. Uh, she one of the sort of central moments in her career was I think she was seventeen or eighteen years old and she was competing in an international diving competition and she went to stanford on a diving scholarship like she really elite national diver and it she was used to swim meets being friends and family she was used to people playing video games in the crowd in the u.s and in china it's a huge sport so it was this big crack packed auditorium and she 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 did terribly on one of her dives and as she came out what she heard was the crowd laughing like she heard the crowd actually laughing and she later came to understand that in china that is how crowds react to mistakes is like sort of this loud large laughter and it's not it's not mocking in in nature or if it is mocking it's generally uh, expected and i would assume it became, it's mocking completely you would you would think like i'm in this foreign country and they're laughing at the person who just made a fairly minor mistake on a really high stakes event as an 18 year old and and she wrote the the piece i'll tweet it out again because it i think it published on on sunday but she talked a lot about how over the course of her competitive career how you go to understanding the crowd how you go to understanding the crowd reaction and you're performing in front of a crowd and you have to have that maximize your effect. If you get too amped up, you're going to be overexcited. If you're too lackadaisical about it, you don't have the peak that's there. And as I was reading it, I was like, A, it applies to all the Olympics that we're seeing right now, right? Because none of them are performing in front of crowds. It probably applies to what we're seeing with, with our top level professional athletes who are going back to performing in front of crowds. In baseball, we're now getting full stadiums. We haven't had that. In football, you're going to have I, – I can't imagine how different it's going to sound this year with the Seahawks playing in front, front of a packed Lumen Field. Do you remember how weird it was in that Patriots game? Yeah. When you just – you didn't hear anything. No. It's so str- – and that had to be really strange for the players. Yeah. I, I wonder if some get too hyped up, some don't. I wonder if some guys just struggle, whether it's with pre-snap communications or they're – as you said, coming in really hyped. Everyone talks about how the first five minutes of a Super Bowl, everyone's coming in and their heart is racing a million miles per hour. And it's finding a way after that takes place to, I guess, recollect yourself and calm yourself down for the rest of the game. Then you get that long halftime in the middle of it. Things you don't think about. Well, I am going to tweet out a link to that story because maybe I'm just – I'm biased. I really like her writing. I really like the story that she talked about, and it probably doesn't apply to most of the things. But I think I'm curious. it's a fascinating look at, the, at the, psych- the psychology of elite athletes. It is Danny and Gallant. We're going to get back on track. Carlos Dunlap, Seahawks pass rusher, he joins us next.
You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Stay tuned to 710 ESPN Seattle today. We're giving away four packs of Mariners tickets in each of our shows. Listen for the cue to call and you could win four tickets to the August 13th Mariners game. It's Mariners fireworks night. They're going to host the Blue Jays. You need to be there to help represent Seattle against the invading hordes from up north, especially since I believe the border is now open. Here's oh. it. It's a matter of national defense. You need to pack T-Mobile Park. Then light up the night to your favorite tracks from the 1990s. Find tickets at Mariners.com. Should we do a little bit of a contest? Sure. Should we do that? When we give you the cue to call, there's going to be a question you have to answer. Probably be drawn from last night's game, I'd, I'd wager. Ty France needed just one hit, the hardest hit, but he, he was just one hit away from the cycle, right? Mm. Singled, doubled, he homered, yes. didn't have a triple. Did you know that he did? has tripled previously for the Seattle Mariners? I would have lost that question. I would have guessed he had no triples, given the way he beats up the ground while he's running. <laughs> I would have been, been wrong. Such a polite way to call someone slow. He's slow, right? Like They say game recognizes game, slow recognizes slow. And I'm not a, I'm I'm not faster than in Ty, Ty France, but I recognize that he's slow. Also had Chris Flexen with a dominant performance. Man, 113 pitches. Did you know that's the most pitches by any Mariner since 2019? I did, but only because it was in your email last night. Yeah, I was surprised Marco by Gonzalez. That. Marco Gonzalez was the last guy that had that 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 high a number. He had 113 throws last night. A Flexen's a horse, you know. I, I and that that is a skill. To have that kind of endurance. And, you know, you need pitchers that could get you through to the sixth and the seventh on a regular basis. And that has been, I think, the biggest surprise with Chris Flexen. It's not necessarily his stuff, he just gets you from point A to point B. We're waiting on Carlos Dunlap here. The Seahawks pass rusher is going to join us. Our coverage from training camp is sponsored by Precore Home Fitness. Carlos Dunlap was the most important addition to Seattle's defense last year. I mean, it's hard to say anybody other than Jamal Adams who led the team in sacks, but it was really Dunlap's arrival that made this defense elevate itself from what was a historically poor start. Yeah, and I it's it's really interesting to, to split the season into the two halves that you have to with how different it was when he joined. And I think also it was Jamal Adams being healthy and having it's a... coming back from the groin injury. Right, having a better feel. And I also think that, you know, bringing in DJ Reed helped too. Reed was his little spark plug in the secondary. So you add all those reinforcements in, and now you're adding a bunch of other reinforcements this offseason potentially. you got Kerry Hyder. We'll see what you're going to be able to get out of a actually healthy Daryl Taylor, but it seems like there's a lot of expectations for him this season. Definitely intriguing to see what's going to happen. And I have really been struck. Danny, by just how large Carlos Dunlap looks out there. To the He's point- a big dude. And look, he is built every bit like, and Pete Carroll has said it when he got here, that you're, you're built like that, the ideal edge pass rusher that we like to have. And I thought that his arrival meant that Seattle had, was able to put people in the right spots. That Benson Mayoa went from someone who, as a starter, was, I don't want to say a liability, but didn't stand out to someone who was really effective as as somebody that you deployed in, in nickel pass rush situations. That it, it allowed everybody to be in the proper spot where it 
it significantly impacted it. And Seattle, I guess in some ways, kind of, they didn't plan on having Dunlap himself become available, but they were able to get him on the field, and he joins us now. Carlos Dunlap is here. And Carlos, I want to say welcome back to Seattle. It was such a, it was such a huge addition last year, and I think we were nervous for a little bit this offseason. Everybody's really grateful to see you back on the field in training camp this year. I'm grateful to be back as well, guys. Appreciate it. Carlos, one of the things that I have noticed the most about you at training camp has nothing to do with actually you on the field. You dance a lot out there, and I am impressed by the moves. Are you the best dancer on the Seahawks? No. No? No, I, I, I kind of just do whatever comes to my mind. I, don't, I can't take credit for actually having moves. I feel like you like the music out there at the very least that they're playing. Yeah. I've never had a, a DJ um, daily out here. And also, he's also from South Carolina that I learned yesterday, so I love that even more. So, yeah. Is it a different – I mean, you've, you've played football and had a long NFL career and a st- standout college career. You said this is the first time you've had to DJ. Is, is, there, is there something different about how Seattle prepares for a season? Is, is Camp Pete Carroll different than what you've experienced before? Absolutely. Uh, Camp Pete Carroll and, I mean, a combination of the new CBA – uh, you know, my first training camp was uh, in Georgetown, Kentucky, um, at a, uh, you know, a second-tier college in the dorm room with a twin-long bed and a very stiff, you know, dorm room mattress oh. that I had to go get a, you know, uh, fortunately one of those uh, mattress pads. It was a $300 mattress pad that I got to put on top of the mattress that they have so that I can make it through. Damn. Hold I- on. You yeah. had to buy your own. You had to. You had to buy additional padding because the mattress was inadequate. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> you've been on one of those spring mattresses in the dorm rooms, so imagine, you know, the you know it's a little bit different school. It wasn't in Florida, so you know the mattresses aren't even to to begin with. A dorm room mattress ain't set up for you know the professional athlete. I'm Let's just happy you're here, Carlos. I'm hearing this. And I, I feel bad, man. That's not cool. That's not. I cool. have this. I have yeah. this image because Carlos is a tall dude. I have this yeah. image of his feet hanging off the end yeah. of this twin bed, yeah. and all of a sudden he's squishing yeah. the mattress. It sounds miserable. Yeah, and then you had the 4 a.m. knocking on your door for a drug test. Oh God! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you meant you, you mentioned kind of the change in the CBA, and that is this is it a better league for players now? Absolutely, it's a it's a lot better league. I feel like the the, the uh, young players are set up to you know pursue after the uh, Tom Brady type careers, the long careers, and obviously it's bless it's a blessing for me to make it to twelve going through those early years. But I feel like with the way that uh, it's set up now, and then you had Pete Carroll's camp on top of it, I, I can play as long as I, I I want and as long as they'll have me. <laughs> It's definitely different than an actual game experience, but I can imagine having been out at the VMAC with all those fans who are now able to watch training camp has got to get yeah. you excited for what the experience is going to be when you're actually out on the field in front of a full-packed house at Lumen Field. Yeah, I, I can't wait for that full-packed house. Um, you know, the are coining the phrase, bring back the noise, and they've already started here at training camp at the VMAC. Was it weird last season playing without fans? Absolutely. Uh, I, mm, uh, I can't think of a scenario where I can relate where I played a game that was credited towards my season and didn't have fans in the stands. It was, 
you know, because, you know, at practice you even have fans. So <laughs> I I can't think of anything competitive, you know, since, you know, Pop Warner um, where I didn't have fans in the stands and we were competing. It seems like for someone at your position playing defensive line, it would have one of the biggest impacts too, especially at home games because – now the opposing offense can communicate, and there's no they hear the snap count better that they're able. Yeah. One one of the only, I mean, look, the league constantly finds ways to make it easier for the offense, whether it's yeah. the penalties they call, and and the one thing, the one benefit that the defense gets is when you play at home, the crowd's so crazy, especially in Seattle, that they can't hear. It, yeah. it had to make your job harder. Uh, well, yeah, and personally, you know, coming from Florida, I like the the fan engagement on third downs to begin with. So the 12th 12th man just seems like, you know, super fitting for me and the way the style that I like to play and how I like to get them involved to begin with. So that's why, you know, I've always spoke to being excited to hearing and seeing what they can do Um, because, you know, personally I love the crowd noise and getting the crowd involved and that's just part of my game. Like I've always loved playing with a, 12th man so to so to so to speak and now i have a 12th man that is the loudest in breaking sound barriers i've never had that before so it's definitely it's definitely fun watching the game at ben hill griffin you know chomp chomp i'm i'm, I'm a gator fan carlos in case in case you didn't ah, know gators. so this 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 pumps me up you've played with a lot of talented players obviously at florida and you know when you're in cincinnati you had geno atkins on the defensive line with you as well, a guy that I would love to see yeah. in here, maybe if that could be worked out for the Seahawks. But when you look at the depth that this defensive line has, I mean, you got Alden Smith out there, you got Robert Kimdiche out there, Kerry Hyder just joined the mix, plus all the guys from last year, Benson Mayowa, you got uh, Alton Robinson. When it comes to depth, how does this stack up with some of the defensive lines that you've played with in the past? I've never been this deep with veteran um, season. Um, players, like players who've played quality ball at a high level um, all on one roster. Like, uh, we, like you know, Coach made a, a very good analogy or whatever the, the phrase should be. Um, you know, we got these hockey lineups. We got a full lineup for every situation. Um, and, and I think it's working out pretty good here in camp. I feel fresh. Um, this is what the coaches want. They want us to be fresh longer and later in the season. Um, so we're continuing to work and, and, you know, still get, uh, you know, that conditioning, um, those reps, um, so that we're ready for when that time comes and, you know, we're just building on that. I think you look bigger this year, Carlos, and I'm not sure if that's a reflection on your weight at all or if you're any big, or it's just wearing a single digit. I would assume that wearing a single (laughs) digit would make someone look smaller, but you wearing eight, you look bigger, dude. (laughs) <laughs> I agree. Well, well, I definitely don't have my weight up. I'm actually cutting down weight, so there we it's go. Not gonna, it's not going to be that. It got, it's got to be the eight. Somebody, <laughs> there we go. Somebody, loves- somebody said I look faster too. So if I'm bigger and faster, that's a. That's I agree. A, that's a blessing. <laughs> uh, Carlos, we really appreciate you taking the time. Like we said, we're so happy that you're back for this season, resigning with the team. We can't wait to see what happens, and best of luck going forward. Thanks, Carlos. I appreciate you guys. Go Hawks. That was Carlos Dunlap. You can tell his playbook now includes the patented Russell Wilson sign-off. Our, our training camp coverage is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Coming up next, the Mariners continue to stand out with what they're able to do. But first, it's the smartest thing Seattle did this offseason. We'll tell you next. 
You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Everyone was very, very sad about the Seattle Mariners coming out of the weekend, losing two or three to the Texas Rangers. I was mad, and I understand why, especially with the context of the Kendall Graveman trade the week before, the way that the clubhouse was feeling afterwards. But there have been some encouraging signs, and it wasn't just in yesterday's 8-2 victory, Danny, over the Tampa Bay Rays that we have seen. In fact, there's been a couple of people that have been making steady progress towards being either what they were or what they maybe can be. Who's that? One of them would be, I would think, Marco Gonzalez. Yeah, Marco's better. good, huh? Right. I mean, we're seeing Marco Gonzalez do what you sort of were expecting from him at the beginning of the year, but the injuries and all sorts of things I think have been getting in the way. If he can be, what, uh, number three caliber starter? He needs you? to be above average. needs to be above average American League starter. That's acceptable, and that yes. helps your bullpen out because you don't want to be taxing the bullpen. You want to make sure that Paul Seawald is being put in in appropriate times and that Diego Castillo gets some chances himself. But maybe not in back-to-back games. Uh, yeah, well. Marco gonna- Gonzalez's last two starts have been very encouraging. Like and that was that was lost amidst how Seattle was beaten in 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 Houston with the consecutive days where they were walked off by Jonah Heim. Marco Gonzalez's last two starts have been very encouraging. Yeah. Also, Jared Kelnick is he getting to a point where we are now thinking that possibilities can happen this year, not just next year, not just in years to come. Look, he is learning on the job and I, I think the one thing that everybody should should realize is you can't overreact to what you're seeing right you can't overreact to it and assume like oh I thought he'd be better we'll see how this goes this is a he's a really young player without much minor league experience and there are a long list of guys who have not exactly hit the round grunting, ground running um Mike Trout so I, I want I want to stop all of the hand I also think that he's too good a player to not figure this out. Mm. I think that he will figure it out and it's a matter of time and I do think he's going to go on a tear. I I, I, I hope I, you're right. I think, I think, and this might be more hope than logic, I think we're going to see him go on a tear where he's got a couple of weeks, maybe even a month, where he really hits at an above average major league level. I hope we see that, but I, I need to see that from somebody. And I, I think Ty France is capable of that and when you see a night like last night, home run, double, it's on the road, almost a cycle, I think he is capable of more nights like that. And of late, I mean, that average has been steady, around 280 for quite some time. I think he could have a J.P. Crawford kind of month. Is he going to hit for more power? And this is, it, this is not a criticism in any way. It's a question. He's got 11 home runs. and Do you need him not, to hit for more power? You don't need it. But I want to know if he's going to. And the, one of the reasons it's hard to figure out exactly what's going on with Francis because I think he's dealing with a really sore hand, like a really sore wrist. And maybe the all-star break helped with that. But basically they said, hey, you got hit with that, that pitch, and then he even went on the disabled list, and he came back, and then they're like, it's a bone bruise. It's going to be there the whole year. 
Dang. I, I don't think we have a great read on what his power numbers are going to be. And playing with injuries is part of this sport. It's one of the things that, that, that you have to do. But 11 home runs for someone that hits the ball as and has the kind of – that is the hitter he is. I do wonder if there's more power there than that, and we're maybe just not seeing that, and that could be partly partly due to the injury. But last night, what, he ends up one hit short of the cycle? Granted, right. it's a triple, but just one hit short of the cycle. He is someone that, given his lack of foot speed, as we discussed earlier, is somebody that you need, I think, to, yeah, hit for more of that power and do what he did last night, where he has basically two uh, extra base hits. Hanniger's had games and even weeks where he's carried the Mariners. Yep. Kyle Seeger's capable of getting hot. And doing that, I don't. I don't know if Seager's going to do that this year. RBIs in eight straight games, which is, I believe, one short of the Mariners' record for a streak of RBIs in games. I think it's Edgar Martinez with nine. I hate RBIs as a stat. I know. I loathe RBIs as a stat, but that's good for him. That's a great sign that people are at least being put in scoring position. It's not that RBIs are a meaningless stat. I think they're credited to the wrong people. Mm. R- RBIs, RBI should, should reflect scoring chances more than it reflects. The, the that specific hitter's ability. RB, RBI reflects how many scoring opportunities, good scoring opportunities your team is creating. Interesting. Doesn't have any respect for a guy maybe being a little bit better at hitting. Like this is a, source, a sort of stat for runners in scoring position. Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a clutch index. It's not quite that because... A batter that has more more guys on base in front of him. I'll give you a great example. Like there were years where Kyle Seager. I don't think Kyle Seager's driven in a hundred runs, but there's years that he certainly sh- would have or should have if he didn't have Robinson Cano and Nelson Cruz hitting in front of him. So I don't think it reflects a player's ability. I I think it reflects the scoring opportunities that the lineup creates in front of him. Eight two victory for the Mariners last night, bouncing back from an ugly series against the Texas Rangers over the weekend. It's Danny and Gallant, seven ten ESPN Seattle. Our training camp coverage is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness, and we're going to dive into this one more time, guys. Is Pete Carroll still capable of pushing a team to the top? We'll discuss that next right here, seven ten ESPN Seattle.